Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our new teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we continue our series, Awesome. Father, uh, thank you for loving us um, beyond what we even know how to understand and calling us beloved. Thank you for this space, for this family. I pray, God, that you'd make us more aware of your presence already at work among us, and may we join you in the mission of helping people find their way back to God. We thank you, we love you, we pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and all of God's people. Say it. Amen. Amen. Is there anything more awkward than dating? Yeah, most of you laughed. A couple of you in the back were like, no way, bro, I crush at dating. Okay, so you can... Turn off for this brief moment. Um, I would fit in the awkward camp, and I want to tell a brief story uh, about Katie and I. Many of you uh, have seen or met Katie. We're engaged to be married this July, so uh, we're doing great. Thank you. But our origin story is not quite as romantic. I actually met her while preaching, and so there's no real good way for a preacher to approach a woman in the church and not look like a total creep. And so I did what any good millennial does and just started texting a bunch, which I'm realizing now is just as bad. And I remember her having a rough day and asking her if I could take her out for dinner the next day. And she said, that would be great. Uh, How about five? I said, I can't do five. She's like, how about six? I can't do six. I said, how about 11 o'clock at night? She said, okie doke. And I said, I got the perfect place. I'll meet you at IHOP. You're laughing now? I could have used your insight then. Thank you. Um, So I asked her, when you've had a bad day, what's sort of your favorite feel-good meal? And she said, grilled cheese with bacon. I was like, I'm going to marry you. (laughs) And so what I did was I went home and made a bunch of different grilled cheese sandwiches. I bought a power converter for my car, got an extension cord, brought my toaster oven into the car. And when I went to meet her at IHOP, I got there early and set everything up. And then I waited in the lobby for her. So it's snowy, it's late, she walks into the lobby, I have this grilled cheese surprise waiting for her. So she walks in, she's nervous, I'm nervous, and I say to her these words, hello, we can go into IHOP like we planned, or I have a surprise for you in my car. (laughs) Not the way I would recommend beginning a dating relationship. In fact, my drums were in the car and she says there was a cooler and clothes and this extension cord. And so I found out months later when I had led her to my car, her first thought after looking into the car was, oh my gosh, he's homeless. He's been texting me and hoped that I could give him a place to stay. So we're in the middle of this series called Awesome. We're talking about the most important relationships in our lives. Awesome marriage, awesome family, awesome friends. And so today I want to talk about finding an awesome mate. Now, those of you who are here that are tempted to sort of tune me out because you're feeling like I'm already set in that department, let me just beseech you for a moment. Um, Stay with me. Because even if you're already married, as Dave and Lucas both have said, we are a family here. And while you may already be set Someone you know or love may really need your friendship, your companionship. In fact, Galatians 6 says, bear with one another and in so doing, fulfill the law 
of Christ. So I would challenge you, single and married, to kind of hone in here because this will apply at some level to all of us. Now, some of you may be asking, look at this guy. What what does he know about being single? Well, first off, I would say when this is your idea of appropriate date attire, you learn a thing or two about being single. (laughs) Real photo, no Photoshop there. You cannot unsee that. I'm so sorry. But as I mentioned, I'm getting married this summer. I'm 33 years old. And by a lot of standards, that is frightening for a lot of Christian circles. In fact, for a while there, when I was being invited to speak at different camps and retreats, the only topic I was ever being invited to speak on was singleness. And I was like, should I take a hint here? I'm like becoming the expert in singleness. And being an expert in singleness is sort of like being a yo-yo champion. Like technically it's a thing, but no one really cares, right? Like it's, it's there, but it's difficult. Others of you, you might be saying, uh, I actually don't want an awesome mate. Well, I, I would say the Bible actually agrees with you. Listen to what 1 Corinthians reads here. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own, what's the word there? <laughs> gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is, what's it say? Good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Paul says it's a gift. Now, full disclosure, we've all been given gifts we wish we could return, right? <laughs> Christmas morning, you open the box and you're like, not even close. Right? <laughs> we've all been there before. But Paul challenges us to lean into this. In fact, later in the chapter, he says he shares all these things to secure our undivided devotion to the Lord. That's his primary goal. But Paul himself, as best we can tell, was single, which made me wonder, do you think that Paul ever heard the things that we often say to single people in our communities? Like, did anyone ever, like, walk beside him and say, so, seeing anyone, Paul? He's like, no, I keep getting shipwrecked. That doesn't look good on a profile. I mean, John or James said, uh, there are plenty of fish in the sea, but um, you were right to groan. That was the correct response. Well done. Maybe somebody said, just let go and let God, Paul. Here's one that I actually heard just a handful of years ago. Someone approached me, tears in their eyes, and they said, I'll pray for you in your condition. (laughs) It's not terminal. It's going to be all right. I don't know why we say such dumb things to single people, but Paul says it's a gift. I would put it this way. Paul, the greatest theologian who ever lived should obliterate any false ideas that being single means that you are in any way less worthy qualified or able to be used by God. And so that's kind of the platform. That's sort of the foundation I want to lay. But before we jump in to finding an awesome mate, I want to talk just a little further about singleness. A hundred years ago, 90% of the adult population was married. Now, about 50%. A quick search at amazon.com reveals that for every one Christian book on singleness, there are 298 Christian books on marriage. And the books on singleness can usually be summarized like this. <clears throat> Don't have sex, okay? Right? More or less. And if you're hearing that and you're single, you're thinking, cool, thanks. <laughs> it's not all that helpful. Singleness is often treated merely as a waiting room To wholeness, but I would say this to those of you who are single this morning singleness is not waiting, it's living. 
Singleness is not junior varsity to the varsity of marriage. Perhaps we could understand it this way. Single adults cannot be seen as somehow less fully formed or realized human beings than married persons because Jesus Christ himself, a single man, was the perfect man. So if you're here this morning and you're not only single, but you're struggling with your singleness, I would say to you two things. One, you have unsurpassable worth because you've been bought with an unsurpassable price. That's the gospel. That Christ gave his life freely. That you have worth even in this current state. Or perhaps we could say it this way. You cannot be made valuable because you already are valuable. Are you tracking? Marriage does not make you complete or whole or usable in God's sight. If you're here and you're single, you are an integral part of this community right here. You are not in the margins. If you are in Christ, hear this. If you are in Christ, you lack nothing. Christ is the sum and substance of all of God's promises. It's not marriage that makes you whole. It's Jesus Christ. We are complete regardless of marital status. God himself was neither married nor single. God is relational. And this means that God's nature can be beautiful imaged by humans who are married and single. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking, um, I don't want an awesome mate. Awesome. Paul agrees with you, but I'd encourage you to still listen in. I also know when we talk about singleness, we're referring to a lot of different types of categories. Some of you have never been married. Some of you have been widowed. Some of you have been divorced. Some of you are like 20, and this is the first time you've ever realized like you fit in this category. Like, oh, I'm single? I didn't even realize. I was too busy Facebooking or whatever the kids are doing. <laughs> there are a lot of different kinds of singles, but here's kind of the big motivation for why we're doing this talk. Most studies assert that somewhere between 80 and 85% of us will get married at some point in our lives. So if that many people are likely to get married, what we don't want you to do is settle. I think I'm a pretty good catch. So why can't I meet the right guy? I've tried all the online dating apps like Tinder, OkCupid, and Match.com, but I want to get married now. That's why I joined the new online dating app, Settle. There's nothing wrong with the men on Settle. They're just normal guys with characteristics I am now willing to overlook. I already bought my wedding dress, so I just needed a groom. I joined Settle and went on tons of okay dates. That's how I met my Henry. He may drive a smart car, but he's a manager at Petco and even has a 401k. We're getting married in April, which is before my sister. Settle isn't misleading like those other dating apps. It's honest. For example, men are only allowed to upload their passport photos or ones of them pretending to hold the leading tower of Pisa. That way we can't focus on their looks. Hi. Sorry I'm late. I don't have a car. Whatever. And they're guaranteed a date because Settle won't allow us to swipe left. Because remember... It's not giving up, it's settling up. <laughs> Settle. Tick-tock. Would you like to have another glass of wine? Oh, no thank you. I- I'm usually in bed by now. <laughs> Some of you, all right. 
And some of you are like, I own a smart car, buddy. Um, so what wisdom does the Bible offer us about finding an awesome mate? We, you may not know this, uh, but there are several love stories in the Bible. In fact, we're going to uh, kind of unpack one today in Genesis 24. If you're following along, that's all the way to the left. That's towards the beginning of the book. And it begins with a man named Abraham and a woman named Sarah. Now, if you know the story, you know that uh, God promises to Abraham um, that his descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. You thought your family was big. That he would be a blessing for generations. But here, here's the problem. They only had one son. His name was Isaac. So Abraham is quite old and concerned that God's promise won't be fulfilled. So here's what Abraham does. Genesis 24, verse 2. Uh, he said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. Just ignore that part for now. (laughs) I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. So here's what he does. He calls in his senior servant, a man named Eleazar. He gives him specific criteria. Can't be a Canaanite. Can't follow pagan God, must be from his own country and someone who God loves and he loves. So Eleazar sets off on this journey. And when he arrives at his destination, he comes to a watering well. And the first thing he does is pray. The first thing he does is pray. That's not insignificant. He hasn't even finished praying when a beautiful woman approaches. Don't don't you wish it was always that easy? Like step one, find a well. Step two, pray for a wife, right? Some of you are like, go home, build well, right? That's that's not the point here. But of course, Eleazar thinks she might be the one. Her name is Rebecca, and she invites him to come to her home and meet her family. And he takes her up on the offer. They hit it off. Eleazar meets the family. They're having a blast, and he's praying the entire time. Feeling like, I think this might be the one, but Lord, make it clear, make it known. And then he explains to Rebecca's family what's going on here in verse 35. The Lord has greatly blessed my master Abraham so that he has become rich. And she was like, I'm in. I'm just kidding. No. Um, And he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now, Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son, Isaac, to my master in her old age. And he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house, to my relatives, and take a wife for my son. And so here's the thing they believe him. They have the same sense that this must truly be from God. So Rebecca agrees to go with him. And here's my favorite part of the story here in verse. 64, read what it says. Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? Now, I like to imagine Rebecca saying this like a little bit more sass, like an 80s rom-com, like she lowered the glasses and was like, who is that man, right? (laughs) That one's for free. That's conjecture. (laughs) But I, I love this instant connection, and then it goes on. In verse 67, it says, And Isaac took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Cue the music, right? 
What a beautiful moment. But all of us in this room know that love stories don't always go that way. But if we take a closer look at this story, I think there are three bits of wisdom that we can really pull out and apply today. Bit of wisdom number one. Look for someone who makes God number one. Look for someone who makes God number one. This was Eleazar's first priority, first criteria, not looks, right? Not wealth. He says, find someone who loves the God I love. That has to be our starting point. That is a beautiful way to start. So what does that actually look like? We talk a lot around here about being 3C Christ followers, and you perhaps have seen it but don't know what it actually means. So here's briefly what that looks like. Number one, does this person celebrate? Are they a part of a church where they are learning and celebrating God's work in the world? Do they connect? Is this a person who is trying to live life on their own, or have they found people other than you who are pouring into them, speaking into their life. This is why we talk about small groups so regularly here. We believe that it's better to be in circles than rows. Is this person someone who's allowed other people to speak into their life and they're not just trying to do it on their own? And then the last C is, do they contribute? Is this person using their gifts to make a difference in the world, helping people find their way back to God, or is everything all about them? These questions will really, really help offer some clarity. And when you're looking for someone who makes God one, look for, in places where they might actually be doing that. Like, how many of you here this morning are single and you don't want to be? Can I see a show of hands? It's, okay, just look around for a second. First, I want you to know that you're not alone in that struggle. Second, I just did your job for you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't run up to them right now. Now you might be here thinking, okay, this, this is all great, um, but I, I'm already married to someone who doesn't make God number one. And, and I want you to hear this. Um, that is difficult. That is complex to a degree that I can't even possibly imagine. And, and I don't want to pretend that it's not, but can I challenge you in something? Continue to lean in in that relationship. Be faithful Stay committed. This is a time to walk by faith with hope. Your faithfulness can have a huge influence. Love them. Pray for them. I've seen multiple families find their way back to God because of the faithfulness of one spouse, one friend, one child. Be someone who drives a stake in the ground to make God number one in your life. Because here's what so often happens. We so often get so obsessed with finding the one that we fail to become the one. Do you know what I'm saying? It becomes just about finding the person that will meet my needs and meet this criteria. What about the work that God is doing in your heart? Be that one. So a bit of wisdom number one, look for someone who makes God number one. bit of wisdom number two, look to people who love you for confirmation. If we go back to uh, Genesis 24, we see that Isaac and Rebekah didn't even see each other until she'd come back with Eleazar. As best as we can tell, there was no such thing as dating. This is actually a lot more like an arranged marriage. Abraham decided what kind of woman, sent his most trusted servant, and then Rebekah sees him and says, who is that man? And then Z snapped, I imagine. 
Now, I'm not really advocating for arranged marriages, um, but I think it's important to allow people to invite people to speak into our lives. And here's why, and I may get an amen on this one. Love clouds our judgment. Can I get an amen? When you're swooning, when you're head over heels, when your brain is in the cloud, we literally say falling in love. Like it implies you tripped or something, right? Being in love, being um, caught up in that can really, really affect our judgment. So much, in fact, that you might be willing to go to an abandoned neon in an IHOP parking lot at 11. It will often sometimes lead us to places we don't want to be. Not in this case, obviously. I'm so glad you said yes. (laughs) So if you're single and you want to find an awesome mate, let, let me urge you. Have the humility and the courage to go to the people who love you most. Ask them for input. That's family, that's friends, that's spiritual mentors. And if you're a family member, a friend, or a spiritual mentor, this is the trade-off. When asked for that input, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. It's not your job to make the decision for them, but speak it in love. Um, I often say, find people who love you who aren't cowards. I think that's a really important combination. And one of the ways you can love people is just spend time with them. Invite them into your homes. Invite them to be a part of what you're doing. Be an advocate for them. Ask questions. How can we be um, more considerate of the singles in our community? Invest in them. And here's the kicker. Listen to them. I can't tell you how many times I've been invited only to find out that they really just wanted to instruct me. Listen to their stories. Let them be fully present with wherever God has them. Another way I think is really important is premarital counseling. This this will help you see what may be an issue down the road before it becomes a really, really big issue. Okay, so let's review. Three bits of wisdom on finding an awesome mate. One, look for someone who makes God number one. Number two, Look to people who love you for confirmation. And number three, look to God for guidance. I can't stress this enough. When we look at this story, it's just saturated with prayer. It starts with prayer to find the right person. When Eleazar thought he met the right person, he prayed for confirmation. And he continued to pray even after he was sure he had found the right one. This is absolutely critical. Prayer has this beautiful way of aligning our hearts with what God is already doing in the world. In James 1, we read, If any of you lack wisdom, of which I've been guilty numerous times, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Isn't that kind of incredible? God wants to give you wisdom in all areas of life. So just like Eleazar, ask God for wisdom if you should marry, Ask God for wisdom to find the right person. Ask God for wisdom to confirm if it's the right person. And ask God for wisdom once you've found the right person. So maybe you're thinking, okay, that's all fine and good. Big surprise, the pastor's saying, you should pray. But how how do I know? One of the things that experience has taught me is to pray for peace and clarity. Listen to Philippians 4. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. I looked up the Greek root of that word. Do you know what everything actually translates there? Everything. (laughs) Everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And then listen to this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is not 
in any way just the absence of fear. There's been numerous times where God's given me a peace and I still had to step out with a little bit of shaken boots. Here's what that word guard actually means. It's an athletic term that was used to describe what umpires did at athletic matches. So you could read it like this. Let the peace of God call the shots in your heart. When you feel like the world is crashing in on you, when the waves are too big to manage, let the peace of God rule. Let it umpire. Let it call the shots. Let me tell you, sometimes the answer will come quickly like it did with Eleazar. Not even done praying and a woman walks up, boom, we're good, let's go home. But oftentimes it'll take a long time, like Abraham and Sarah, waiting patiently. Either way, keep praying and wait for peace and clarity. Here's the kicker. We're we're in this together. This is why we come together, to stay close to God and join Him in His mission. If you're in Christ, you're not simply students reading a book or spectators of a great event. You and I are participants in this great narrative of God's love, regardless of our marital status. Ultimately, whether... You're single and married. We're in this together. So what I ask you to do is to, to reach over to your right and left. And I want you to grab hold of the hands of the people sitting next to you, whether you know them or not. And I'm going to pray for us in a moment here. But I'm going to ask that while I'm praying, that you just pray silently for the person to your right and to your left. That they would make God number one in their life. That God would move and redeem and restore in ways we can't even begin to imagine. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us with that kind of love, for desiring to give us wisdom, for challenging us to be on mission with and for you. God, as Paul prayed, we want you to have our undivided devotion. And we know that whether we're single or married, we need you to do that. God, make us more aware of your presence already at work among us. Whether we're seeking a mate, content in our singleness, or in a marriage relationship already, may you be number one in all that we say and do. We thank you, we love you, and we pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and all of God's people said.